and Ben, um, two of our MSDS students. How's it going, you guys? You guys excited to be on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. Maybe let's start by telling us a little bit about your practicum, right? How has the practicum gone this past year? Um, what company are you working for? What kind of stuff are you doing? What have you learned? Okay, me first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my name is Ben, and I currently uh, work with uh, AWS Machine Learning Solutions Lab. And I was um, doing research project with them, and we um, focusing on how to accelerate large scale um, uh, neural network model, um, specifically for um, improve it using sampling strategy from um, training data. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah. like the sampling strategy, trying to use um, like a stratification or something like that. Yeah, so from a higher level of speaking, um, they try to identify the most um, important sample. Mm. and put it into the model first and to see if that has some improvement uh, in terms of our coverage time and even model performance. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Is there like um, a specific application that they have in mind or is it just general methodology for any? Yeah, uh, it's a general um, methodology and they try to you know, apply the strategy on multiple kind of model, language model, um, image model, and to see um, if there is you know, yeah, specific application. Very nice, very nice. How about you, Patricia? Yeah, so I, I work at Fitbot, which is a, an app that recommends workouts for users. Mm-hmm. Um, they generate exercises and an entire plan for users on mobile devices or on the Apple Watch. Um, and I'm specifically working on a project to try to improve workout durations. Sure. So making sure that users are working out for the time that they want to work out for, whether that's 60 minutes, whatever time that they configure it for. Um, generally, the workouts are, for some users, too short from what they expect. So mm-hmm. I've been looking at their data to try to improve that. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm sort of the the opposite. Uh, the other day, I was doing a yoga uh, session, and then like I was like, okay, when is this thing going to be over? <laughs> You're going to kill me. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, cool. Is it um, in your internship, right? Are you finding it more data science heavy, data engineering heavy, or data analyst heavy, right? What, what are you finding most useful from our coursework in your, your practicum? Yeah, for me, it's very data science heavy. Um, I, th- I did spend like probably three months doing a lot of data analysis, just exploring the data and getting familiar with it because they have such large scale data. Mm-hmm. But mostly I've been experimenting with machine learning models, uh, which has been really nice for me because that's actually what I why I even joined uh, MSCS in the first place was to kind of learn more about models and to um, use them to solve a business problem. For sure. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, for me... Um I think it's more uh, research focused. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. um, we have to, you know, read a lot of paper about re- in uh, relevant fields, mm-hmm. and then we try to implement that using PyTorch. And I use a like extensive of, of PyTorch. Yeah. And, yeah. So I think that's really interesting experience. So I should, um, like, iteratively, you know, read a paper, modify, and you know, come up with a new idea and try to do some uh, experiments on that. Yeah, definitely. It's always it's always my experience. Like when you read a paper right the first time, and then you actually go do something, and then you come back to the paper, you like definitely get a lot more out of it. And yeah, like you were saying, you can iterate that. For the papers you read, are they mostly like deep learning papers, or what, what kind of field you know subcategory are they in? 
Yeah, for the um, paper, I think the field is really um, specific. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's multiple, uh, in a multiple way to optimize uh, you know, training. Yeah. For um, gradient design, is like everybody know that find the features, you know, the steepest way, and then try to improve the model according that. And mm -hmm. there is a kind of simpler um, variant of gradient design is called coordinate design. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much just optimize the subset of the right. feature, uh, and try to you know have some benefit um, on the model performance, but. Yeah, this is a trade-off because you know you are not optimize it on every dimension. But so we can you know have some experiments and saying that oh, the trade-off is worth it or not. Yeah, yeah, this is one way. Yeah, it's one example. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Awesome. So Patricia, with your practicum, is there a specific course or set of courses or just you know topics from the courses that have helped mostly with yours? Yours sounds like more kind of maybe traditional. Machine learning data analysis. So I'm thinking EDA and you know the machine learning courses. But is there maybe something outside of that that you've found more useful? I think the projects have been really useful for those classes, specifically the advanced machine learning project. Um, when we had other students present kind of their findings that were the top performing groups, they used like a Huber regression model, and actually that's what I ended up using in my practicum. So that was really cool, like a direct application. And also the like um, the way we kind of reformatted and like aggregated the data for that project. That's what ended up solving my problem as well. So there were like a lot of direct ties for the advanced machine learning course specifically. And then also with the uh, machine learning ops course that we recently took, the experiment tracking. I've been recently trying to implement that because previously I've been just kind of pickling my models, and that was my version control, um, mm -hmm. which is not ideal, especially because I had to like make sure I renamed them right. So um, yeah, I would say those were like the most useful courses. Yeah, definitely. Well, that makes that makes us feel good, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So for that part, for the experiment tracking, are you doing then uh, MLflow or? I'm still figuring out which one I want to use because I also don't know. Um, I need to ask my practicum if I can even use a tool that's like a third-party tool because I don't know if, um, in terms of like sensitive data, if they would allow that. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Ben? Um, with yours being so research-heavy mm -hmm. uh, and maybe sort of on very novel methods that might not have even been introduced in some of the coursework, I mean, um, how's yeah, how has your experience been like tying the coursework to what you're doing? Actually, I don't have um, that much experience of using like um, model in the research context, and I have no idea how to manage different kind of experiment in a really managed way. So at the beginning of my practicum, actually, I was a lot of uh, Jupyter notebook with uh, you know different naming to make make me um, understand like which notebook is, is um, focusing on what part. But then I took um, class from Robert, and we, we introduced some uh, weighting bias. Um, yeah, this is a really good practice. So after that, I just favored to weighting bias to lock my um, experience and all the model artifacts. It's pretty, like, it's, it's, it's a great improvement. So yeah, and the um, uh, uh, mentor from the company side is also happy about it because the visualization is really easy. You don't have to open a notebook and kind of scroll something out. And you, if you want to compare multiple um, experiments and different kind of metrics, it's really easy to do that. How about on the other side? Like, what's something that we didn't teach that you ended up having to learn on your own? It was super important for your practicum. 
I think we do have a deep learning um, bootcamp before mm -hmm. uh, we really get into the deep learning part of Operaticum. But um, I think there is a framework in PyTorch, it's called PyTorch Lightning. And mm -hmm. our mentor mentioned it, um, saying that that make um, the whole thing more, make more sense, but that's not covering the school. But, so, but we, we, we have the basic understanding of how PyTorch works so that that help me quickly get like what parts lightning is to, you know, to optimize. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's always the tricky thing, right? When you get thrown into practicum, practicum is happening at the end of or the middle of, of fall. Mm -hmm. We don't get to deep learning until, you know, spring and, and later in the program. So it's like a lot of it, you know, we have this like crash course. I don't, I'm not sure who taught, who taught the crash course this year? Carlos. We have this crash course from Carlos. Um, which is useful if, if your practicum needs a lot of deep learning. But, you know, a lot of it is independent study. So uh, especially, like, if you're doing something specific like PyTorch Lightning, right? How about you, Patricia? I think one thing that I've done in my practicum that I didn't see being taught as much in, in the coursework was writing unit tests um, mm -hmm. as part of, like, my pipeline. Um, and another one would probably be we took an experimentation course on A-B testing, but we didn't cover Bayesian A-B testing, which is something that, uh, they do at Fitbod. Um, I didn't get to actually do the Bayesian A-B testing, but that was part of what was planned for my practicum. Right. Yeah, like I think um, I know it has been taught in the past. Yeah. You know, uh, as part of this case studies class. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and it sort of it depends on who's teaching the case studies class at the time. And if it's a Bayesian person, sure. then they throw in some Bayesian stuff yeah. in there. But Makes sense. Yeah. Um, Actually, one, another student was asking me just earlier today, uh, looking at their resume, and asking about you know is you know putting Bayesian uh, you know Bayesian analysis or whatever on their resume like an important thing? Is that a skill that would be actually looked for in industry? And I I mean my answer basically was if it's not in job description then yeah just don't worry about it totally right? totally like it's nice to have but if your job is not pulling on it right probably not necessary but on the other hand. Some jobs are totally built in that framework, right? So yeah, if that's right. it, right? If you know that's the um, that's the ask, right? You better have it on your resume. Yeah, and so you might have to do some self study, unfortunately, because I also just don't think it's probably not that commonly taught. Were either of you in the Bay Area already before the program, or did you did you move here? Yeah, I um, moved to SF for the program. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, before the program, I was living in Taiwan. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. How about you, Patricia? Uh, I was in the Bay Area. I grew up in East Bay in Richmond, California, so oh, nice. I'm local. Yeah, local. <laughs> That's always nice, right? Okay. So it's, I don't know, one thing that I think is really important with um, this program, because it's so intense, right? Everything's crammed into a year in terms of coursework, and you're working on top of it, right? Is finding that support system, finding a network, and like being able to, you know, it's. I would say it's totally impossible if you just try to do everything on your own, like no support from anyone. Like there's not enough time to get these um, really important things in place just for living, much less trying to succeed in a really tough program. So um, number one, it's great if you already have it, but if you don't, right, maybe Ben, um, how did you kind of find that, right? What are you doing to introduce balance into your life right now when you're <laughs> trying to manage this, this program? Are you talking about the supporting system like here? Yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever you think has been like uh, helpful to you when you're like 
adjusting to life in the Bay Area, adjusting to the program, right? Yeah, for me, I think connecting with people is like helping a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, the program um, have a lot of like group project, group assignment. Yeah, and then help me connect it to the to the cohort, and you can share a lot of things like the difficulty of the course, and then some improvement um, in the in the job searching part, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think can. You know, supporting, encourage each other. I think that helps a lot for me. Yeah, definitely. There's a, a, good, a solid amount of camaraderie among the the students. It seems like it seems like y'all are always because because there's so much work to be done, right? It seems like y'all are always grouping up, hanging out, and over here in the the lounge. Um, how about on the other side, Patricia? Right, you're a Bay Area native, right? What is what are some tips that you would give to to people moving to the Bay Area, like um, to help them get used to to I think it's really important to pick where you live kind of based off of what activities you enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. So for people who are moving to San Francisco, for example, um, making sure that wherever you move that you know kind of of places that you would like to go to yeah. uh, on the weekends and stuff. Like for me, for example, I actually did um, move for this program sure. to Oakland so mm -hmm. I could be a little bit closer. And I made sure that I could easily walk to part to get here yeah. um, on time and such. But also I made sure to be near places that I enjoy going to. Like I live close to the lake because I like um, walking and being in nature as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. So I think that really helps so that like it's not a hassle to do things that you enjoy. For sure, for sure. Is it um, like Merritt? Or? Yeah, like yeah, Merritt. Nice, nice. I was just there last weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice. Nice mm -hmm. area. How about you, Ben? Where do you live? Do you live in the city? Um, I live in Sunset District. Okay. Oh, in the Sunset. Like inner yeah. or outer? Inner Sunset, I think. Maybe on the border. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I live there because, you know, the rent is more affordable for me. Sure. Yeah, Definitely. and it's by the um, public transit system, so it's pretty good. Do you room with the other students in the program? Yeah, I do live with um, Max, Alina, and Yuxing. Yeah. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. I didn't know you guys were all roommates. Oh. <laughs> that's that's funny. Because <laughs> Yuxing and Alina are both my practical mentees. And I never I never knew that they were in the same house after I've been doing that. But now I know. Um, that's cool. How did you guys find each other um, when you were, like, before moving here, right? Yeah, just um, just randomly reach out to you know people in the same cohort and see yeah. who else is finding a place to live, and was looking to live in the townhouse to share a room. Are you guys? Um, um, Patricia was saying you know it's important to live somewhere close to you know uh, the things you like to do, like on the weekends or whatever, like to give yourself that um, easy access to something fun or something that like gives you balance, right? What do you What do you guys like to do when you're not working <laughs> and studying, right? I like to go to the gym and uh, lift weights, so that's why FitBot was actually like perfect for me because oh, nice. I actually use their app now and it's really cool. Oh, okay. Um, I also like to um, like hike and go camping, and luckily since my family's close by, we like go to a bunch of different parks every weekend, so it's really nice. Especially now that the weather's getting better. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Which um, which parks do you like to go to? There's one in Richmond called Point Pinot that we go to pretty regularly, um, and it's by the shoreline, so we have like this really nice view of the bay. Yeah. And then. Um, Mount Tamalpais, I think, is mm -hmm. one. Yeah, yeah, and that one's really nice for the view, too. Um, close by to SF, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I don't think there's much in the uh, outer sunset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little... Yeah, other than the beach, right? There's the beach. The beach. There's some good good food. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what do, you, what do you like to do for fun, Ben? 
Yeah, um, I was living like, nearby the, the bus line that was like almost directed to the uh, main campus. Mm -hmm. So I can enjoy the, the free, you know, Kerouac Recreational Center, the gym. Oh, and swimming right. pool as well. It's pretty nice for me. Oh, you've been been swimming at the, the yeah. rec center? Mm -hmm. Nice. Do either of you have um, cars? Do you think it's necessary to have a car in the Bay Area? Or? I don't have a car. I actually just got my driver's license recently. Oh, um, cool. congrats. <laughs> um, no, I don't think it's necessary to have a car. And actually for me, it would be um, a hassle to have a car because in downtown Oakland, parking is expensive. And yeah. also like my roommate has a car and she has to move it from one side of the street to the other every single day. Otherwise, she gets tickets. Yeah, so I would me. not recommend having a car in downtown Oakland. And even in San Francisco, I feel like, in especially downtown, it's not ideal to have a car. Um, it's easy to just take public transit instead. Totally. Yeah, I've, I've been, um, <laughs> I guess it's the initiation to San Francisco is getting a million parking tickets, and they're, <laughs> they're not cheap. <laughs> yeah. Ben, do you have a car? Yeah, I don't have a car as well. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think it's necessary if you want to live in like San Francisco. Right. But when whenever you need to, you know, travel around Bay Area, you can rent a car, oh, or yeah. um, just do BART. It's sure. also an option. So yeah, that is one thing. Like for American cities, right, which generally are not known for having good public transit, right? At least we have something, right? We have we have BART, we have Muni, we have buses. There's it's possible, right? If you were out in I don't know, my, my home state, right, in Texas, you'd be having a, a very different uh, experience trying to get around without a car, right? That's true. Mm -hmm. Maybe you want to talk about just general, how is the program? Like, what what would you tell someone uh, when, if you were starting the program? What would be useful information for you to know? Yeah, for me, um, <clears throat> the thing that I wish I've done, mm -hmm. you know, from the beginning of the program would be to better manage all the work or the projects that I've done on, on maybe on Git with mm -hmm. good readme markdown. Yeah. The readme. Yeah, writing <laughs> the good readme markdown was really recording what you've learned. And also in the job searching, um when when, when the job searching, you know, you also can showcase your work in a really managed manner. So I think if I were you know, kind, of, kind of able to talk to the to me, yeah. Uh, when in the beginning of the program, I would say that should manage everything and write good markdown. Totally, yeah. It's a good habit to get into. Yeah. Right. Is there a place for that? Like in any of our courses, this sort of project management stuff, like that could be useful, like you said, for when you are starting to interview for jobs. And it's not really a skill that's typically taught mm -hmm. anywhere. Um, like, I, I mean, I don't know. I think I've encouraged it in my classes, you know, to like, to document well, but like, I don't really force it or anything, so. Yeah, I was thinking about that too when you asked the question about things that I wish were covered in classes, because for my practicum, I had to write like this massive documentation of everything so that um, once it could be deployed, someone else could take that on. And I feel like that could have been really useful to kind of have as like a project in the communications class, for example. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, right? That's a, that's a really good one. That is the epitome of, of communication, right? I have to communicate with someone who I'm going to be out of here and they need to take on this project, right? That's a, that's a really good note. Yeah, maybe it fits there. I'm teaching, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll be teaching that class this fall. So um, maybe I'll take a look, see if it fits. Yeah. Yeah, try to squeeze it in there somewhere. There's, um, I, we did have a, a final project where I made them write a, a readme and stuff, but we didn't talk about like 
writing a good readme. I was just like, you guys see, it's, it's up to y'all. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, Patricia, I guess, oh, yeah. yeah, you can answer the same question, really, just like, something. Oh, advice, is that it? Yeah. Advice yeah. for yourself, advice for future cohorts. Um, I think I should have formed study groups earlier on because I was struggling a lot, especially during boot camp. I was struggling so much. Um, that's another thing I would tell myself that I should really study the math parts of things before coming here because the statistics and linear algebra, I thought after boot camp, I was like, okay, cool. I got through it. It's over. And then it kept coming back and it kept coming back and all of the <laughs> other classes to follow. Um, so that's one thing. And then on kind of like a more personal side of things, I had like I dealt a lot with um, imposter syndrome the first few months of the program. So I feel like having better coping mechanisms for that and being more open to talking to other people about that, because I'm sure other students uh, also experienced that. And once I did kind of have that conversation with some of my friends, it really helped to kind of get past it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, it's probably way more common. I don't know the stats or whatever, but I think um, I, honestly, to me, it's like if you've never felt it, like that's probably the rarity, not like it's pretty universal, I think. And um, yeah, I think what you said about talking to other people and realizing, oh, we all are kind of feeling like this. So I guess we all belong because uh, we're, we're all in the same boat. Right. And I think that's that's especially true, too, because um, I don't know your backgrounds, but a lot of people are coming into this program who are not necessarily computer scientists, statisticians, data scientists beforehand. Um did either of you, what was, did you come from a different background or were you um, kind of in this kind of line beforehand? I was a software engineer, so I was definitely in this line and I have a computer science background. Okay. Um, I think the switch into like a more math heavy field mm. was what I was struggling with a, a lot with. Um, but I think the, the coding background really helped. Yeah, um, I was from an economics background, so I kind of sort of have the touch of the math, you know, my graduate, um, my graduate degree. Mm -hmm. But um, I do the pivot after I graduation, so I pivot to a software engineer role. So that's a good for me because I do have experience doing math and programming as well. So yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, that's that's something that I felt too. Like in my studies, right? I came from a math undergrad, and I went to statistics grad school, and like, okay, you you have to like. Uh, ad hoc pickup coding and and all of that but like i've never taken a computer science class ever <laughs> right so it's like it's really just kind of going with it and saying like okay i guess i'm gonna figure this out because we need it <laughs> right yeah i actually did take a computer science class because i was considering being a cs major mm -hmm. in undergrad so i took my first you know intro to computer science and it was like c plus plus and like after that class i, I switched my major to math so. yeah <laughs> It's like, okay, it was good, to, good yeah. to go and survey the space. Okay, then, yeah, I give, you it a, I give it a try. What? Do you regret it? No, I really <laughs> love math, yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and then I went into stats just because I wanted to do something more applied than like doing theoretical math and, and writing proofs yeah. all the time. So. Yeah, totally. I think the same, right? I was talking to Steve Devlin. He's a professor in the math and, and, and MSDS program, but I think he's just math this year. Um, but he was asking me, uh, you know, you know, the world is so different now from 10 years ago or 20 years ago when, when we were going to school, right? Um, if you were going to pick your major again, would mm. you, what would you pick? Would you change it? Would you do anything? And I was like, no, I'd still do math, still do stats yeah. because yeah, me too. it's just, it seemed right. It's, it's what I was going to do. <laughs> how about, how about you guys? Do you think, uh, 
if you were going to change your, or you had the ability to revise your past and you were still trying to make it to this point, do you think that those um, like economics and computer science undergrads were the right path for you or? I think I would have changed. So I actually did computer science and engineering. So I took a whole mm -hmm. bunch of like hard work classes, electrical engineering type of courses that I didn't like. And I would hate to work in something like that now. So I would. I wish I would have just done computer science and then done like an emphasis in something related to data science. Since I, I knew I liked it at the time, I took a few machine learning courses in my undergrad as well. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's a difficult question for me because actually I have a mixed background. Mm -hmm. I start my undergrads um, with philosophy major actually. Oh wow! And then I I, I transfer to economics, and then I pick the focus on the finance part. And then after graduation, I pivot to software engineering. So I feel like, you know, the past experience is so um, really important for me to have the multiple paradigms of thinking. Yeah. And I think this is uh, really helpful for me to pick up different kind of field of knowledge really quickly because, you know, I... Totally. Yeah. Okay, you so, went on a journey, right, to get here. Yeah, that. so if I were got an opportunity to pick the major, like again, I probably would have gone through the same path because yeah. I, I feel really good about like right now. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting path. And it helps a lot with, um, you know, expressing what you're doing to other people. Yeah, I do uh, agree a lot. By, um, I speak a lot of language mm -hmm. you know, from, yeah, I do speak like business language because my, my first internship was actually in the investment banking, like oh, a lot of okay. people talking in business language. Right. But right now I talk a lot of technical languages, so mm -hmm. I know I got a got ability to you know, switch. Yes. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so speaking of business language or whatever domain language, like what do you guys see next? I mean, obviously you're job hunting right now, right? Don't want to <laughs> ask how that's going because it's a loaded question, I'm sure. But um, if you could kind of say, okay, six months, hopefully all this is figured out. What do you think is like your desired path? What you have like a specific domain or a different, a specific um, field that you're trying to get into right now? Yeah, for me, um, um, during the program, I figured out that I was more into engineering part in, mm -hmm. the, in the data science. So, you know, my expected job position might be more kind of um, ML ops okay. and ML engineering. Nice. Yeah. So I came into this program really passionate about ethics and AI and like fate, fairness, um, accountability, transparency, and explainability. Um, and then I was really looking forward to taking the ethics course for that reason. And I actually talked to the professor a lot about what I could do to get a career in that. Mm -hmm. And he really recommended getting a PhD. He said that everyone who he knows at Google who works uh, in that department has a PhD and it would be really difficult to get a career like that without a PhD. So I... Um, thought a lot about getting a PhD after this. Mm -hmm. And after taking that course, I realized I really enjoy the applications, but it's actually also very math heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually don't want to go into that anymore, but it was, it's useful to figure that out within like a seven-week course, right? Totally. So yeah. now I want to do um, just like a data scientist position where I can continue to experiment with machine learning models and look at data and hopefully also have some type of... Um, responsible AI practices as part of my career. Right. Even if you're not working specifically on the data ethics, we all have to have them, hopefully, right? That's, yeah. that's really important, right? And that's 
But yeah, no, I agree that there's definitely a way to apply ethics to your data science, you know, to the problems that you're working on in data science. Whereas if you really want to understand, I don't know, the um, sort of underlying, just all, I don't know, it, it's probably comes from philosophy instead of, right. you know, computer science, uh, then maybe a PhD yeah, would be useful for that if you wanted to. This sounds like that would be a little bit more research oriented and not as hands on, not as as practical, which is fine, you know, for people who who would want to work in that field. Right. But if you want to be hands on data scientist building models, but then you can think about the explainability piece and the bias, you know, how to build you know unbiased models, and there's still plenty of sort of work to do, you know, important work to do there. You know, it's not a, it's not a solved problem. Right. So those are hard problems. So I think you'll have interesting opportunities in doing that. Yeah, I think I wanted to at some point write research papers, but I think I've, I've never written one, but I've come to the conclusion that I just enjoy reading them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like seeing what other people did and learning from that. <laughs> Can appreciate. <laughs> yeah. so, so I was just going to ask, you know, if you had like a, an interesting or funny story that you can tell that kind of, you know, summarizes Either, you know, summarizes your experiences here or just something fun to, to talk about. So uh, after the pitch day, um, the final pitch day, um, a group of friends and I went out for like a happy hour and I was meeting a lot of people for the first time. And actually there was a group of three of us who were Latinos there. And we had an argument. I started a conversation <laughs> where I asked them, about their opinions on different terms that people can use to describe Latinos. So whether it's Hispanic, Latinx, Latino, Latina, Latine, and what they think about these terms, how they like to identify. And I kind of started like a really heated argument, <laughs> which I enjoyed because uh, I was getting to know people and yeah. something that was clearly they were all passionate about as well. So it was interesting to me. And actually those people ended up being my closest friends. We actually went to the Latinx graduation yesterday. So oh, cool. it was really nice to have like a full circle moment like yeah, that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. The third one you said, Latine. I hadn't heard that one before. That's an interesting one. Yeah, that so that that came up because Latinx, actually you can't pronounce that in Spanish. Right. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> exactly. So Latine is a gender neutral version that can be pronounced in Spanish. For sure, for sure. It respects the, the, the structure of the language. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I actually used to uh, prefer Latinx just mm -hmm. because it's gender neutral. And Camilo was super passionately against it. Why are we making up new words? Spanish is, should be kept like traditional. Um, and so that actually kind of made me think, yeah, why are we <laughs> just inventing new words? Um, but yeah, I think part of it is, at least for me, being a woman, when you say Latino, that's not necessarily like, including me. And I right. think it kind of um, is a symbol of um, the patriarchy within the language where you can have a group of women, they're called Latinas, and as soon as one man enters, right. now we're Latinos. Yeah. Um, but if you have a group of men and one woman joins, we don't change the term, right? Sure, so sure. Um, that's why I used to prefer Latinx, but now I'm like, it's, anything is fine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With um, with the, the pronouns, right? Is there, you know, now we're kind of, finding all sorts of new pronouns for people to identify with and, and things like that. Like, um, well, you know, like they, them, of course. I've heard of some of my students or some of my friends who are teachers for like middle school, they're saying their students now like prefer like it pronouns, which is interesting. Is there a parallel movement in Spanish to kind of invent um, gender neutral or 
Yeah, they non-binary. do have um, they do have one non-binary one, non-binary one that I've heard of. So there's el, ella, he, she, and then there's ella. I think is how you pronounce it. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I think there there's still like a lot of um, more work to be done there, and I don't think they're as popular either. Sure. Um, but actually, in some parts, so like in Mexico, there's there was a third gender for a while, and that mm-hmm. was like a popular thing. So it's it's part of the culture in some ways. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, yeah, it was great having you both here. Thanks a lot, Ben and Patricia, and um, best of luck. I'm excited to see what happens after graduation. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for both of you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Class. 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 Class.